0: Hey, everybody. It is time for another episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. Uh, super excited to be here, as always, a really fun and special guest. Uh, but first, let me introduce my good friend and partner, Scott Lise. Um Scott, uh, always good to see you, my friend. I don't know why you're wearing a Canes hat, though. Like, I don't get it. That's, that's, um,
1: it's not the Miami Hurricanes. This is actually my my kids' Little League club.
0: Is that for Caleb? Is that Stanford? Does, does Braden get mad that there's no sea hat? No, no he hair.
1: doesn't. He, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's like his dad. He doesn't care. Uh, just give me victories. He he's happy with his championship he just won two days ago.
0: So. That's awesome. Uh, but on to more important people. Uh, we have the co-founder and CEO of Bravado, Sahil Mansuri. Sahil, welcome to the show. I'm a, I'm a little disappointed you don't have your sales hat on though.
2: Oh God. Well, let's remediate that. I can I can I can help you there. I mean, in case you
1: can't hear him right now he literally just got up out of his chair walked across the room and is presumably grabbing his his hat
2: uh, oh, there well, he is
1: he's now so wearing bad. so this i is mean a-
2: what would my marketing team think they, uh, ashley and katherine are be like are you freaking kidding me you show up with two heavy hitters the 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 the, the you know the the fucking uh, Bonnie and Clyde of sales and, and you don't, and you don't bring, you don't bring your best ammo with you. That would, that would go over poorly.
0: Anyway, so I have a surprise for you and Scott doesn't even know to this, but I went out and got a special hat made just for you for this episode. (laughs) It says the Sahil hat. Uh, you know, I got some tape out of the kid's room and I knew you'd bring your sales hat with you. So I had to put on my Sahil hat. So, for the rest of this episode you get to see me in the sea hill hat and uh you know hopefully that's as funny to listeners as it is to anybody who might view it on youtube
2: i i i feel i'm overcome with emotion <laughs>
1: <laughs> how much how much does it has emotion played into your your salesmanship and your and your craft salespeople are generally everything fairly emotional Talk everything
2: i mean human beings are emotional you know, like, like we're just more than others today. though, right? Uh, that's true. But I think the more comfortable you are with how you feel in a, in a situation, the, the, the better that you're able to uh, be yourself in a, in a sales context, I think the easier it is to sell. I mean, people like to do business with people they trust, and they don't trust people that are fake. You know, like you. Um, there's it's interesting. There's a there's a medical term for this. I'm missing it, but uh, certain people are are uh, psychopaths, right? Like actual psychopaths, where they don't feel emotion, and when you're near someone who's a psychopath you actually can feel it. It's, it's, a, it's like a human instinct that we, it's a survival instinct. It's like the same like spidey sense that a gazelle gets when there's like a lion somewhere in the forest, you know, because as human beings, we crave authenticity. We crave emotion. We crave the, the, the connection between people. And I think the best salespeople I've ever met with are the best salespeople I've ever known, you know, let alone met with, are folks who are able to uh, bring their authentic self and break the paradigm of like, this is, I am a salesperson, you are a buyer, we are doing a sales process and can get down to like, Hey Scott, Hey Richard, like, what's up guys? Like, let's hang, let's talk, let's, let's do this. And the more human you are, I think the easier it is to sell, especially as you go to the enterprise, I think SMB mid market sales, you can get away with more of a script enterprise salespeople are the folks who are able to break the the barrier between salesperson and buyer and, and get both people on the same side of the table. So I, I believe that emotion is critical to sales.
1: Yeah there's been there seems to me to be more talk and more chatter around this humanity staying in the sales process and, and being authentic and being real and less company centric and product centric um, tell everybody who doesn't know you what you're doing right now with bravado and what your your goal and your and your aim is so people have um, you know context of kind of where you're coming from
2: yeah, so Bravado is the largest professional network for salespeople in the world today. We've got 50,000 B2B salespeople, all, the vast majority of which are in tech sales. I would say like software salespeople, but we do have some folks that are in like real estate and ad tech and stuff as well, um, who are uh, kind of coming together to elevate the profession of sales. Look, the, started Bravado three years ago with a super simple mission, which was, I don't think the way that sales is being done is right. Like, I just don't feel like it's being done right. I don't know what to do about it, but I don't feel like it's being done right. And we're not gonna solve the problem individually. For too long in sales, we try to solve problems by ourselves. And it's like, if I'm a rep and I'm working at something, I try to fix it myself, even though my partner, who's like, who, you know, my teammate who's who's, who's two desks down is probably struggling with something similar, but no, like I'm gonna work by myself. And then my sales team is doing something But, but, you know, there's another sales team in Dallas that's trying to work on a similar problem, but no, like we're going to figure it out. And then my company's trying to solve something. And, and like, you know, we're having trouble, you know, with product market fit, or we're having issues with getting people to show up to meetings. And there's no community, there's no learning, there's no sharing, there's no, there's no concept of you know, for lack of a better word, a stack overflow for sales. Are you familiar with stack overflow? You know, you know, that website. Very, very uh, familiar. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a cool concept. You know, like if a, if an engineer figures out it has a question they ask and then other people just share the answer and all it does is it elevates engineering forward, you know? So now, <laughs> You don't need to solve the same problem twice, right? You're basically out there and you're able to say, like, hey, you just punch into Google. How do you do, you know, how do you run this SQL query in this, you know, in this sort of batch file? And then boom, there's the answer right in front of you. And I so think, one, one of the one yeah. of
1: the thing one of the things that you and I have talked about before and is to me at least going to going to be really key as platforms like Bravado and, and LinkedIn move forward is how how does somebody know that the advice that they're getting. Is good and meaningful advice is everybody can go out there and put their advice good bad ugly this is what worked for me um, people you know who want to get on the platform and learn about tactics and techniques how do they know that the advice that they're getting is right versus wrong and not gonna lead them astray I saw somebody that we all know uh, you know calling wrote something today that he saw two pieces of terrible advice in the last couple of days that people were liking and following and whatnot. Um, and so I, I wonder how do we evolve the, the community and these platforms to a place where it becomes easier for people who are earlier in their career, maybe to filter out the noise and the junk and pay greater attention to the stuff that is tried and true best practices and works.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple answers to that. I think there's a there's a systemic problem, which is that on LinkedIn, the person who screams the loudest gets the most attention, and that problem isn't just a LinkedIn specific problem. It's just a general issue that we have, where uh, the person who's willing to spend the most on advertising is the one who goes up highest in the polls. You know, like we've seen, we've seen this sort of behavior transcend sales or even business. I mean, this is in in our world today. Um, The way that we try to solve the problem at Bravado uh, is we try to get uh, a sense of someone's credibility uh, and we try to understand what their experience is like. So to give you an example, we we use a specific formula around understanding who you've sold to in the past and what the experience has been that you've delivered to those clients to try and measure what your credibility is on a topic. And so, for example, if I've sold to a bunch of VPs of marketing at Facebook, Amazon, Google, you know, Cisco, then if I'm going to give advice on how to sell a marketing product to a big tech co, then my voice is going to rise the loudest. And so we're, we're basically trying to understand what you've done in the past that qualifies you to be able to do this in the future. Right? Like I think, understanding someone's background is important. But there's a second part to this as well, which is um, that context is really important. You know, where if you ask someone who is an enterprise salesperson at Slack today, you know, how to do enterprise sales, that person's going to have a real different point of view than someone who does enterprise sales at Joe Schmo's, you know, small, you know, company that no one's ever heard of. So what works at Slack doesn't work at a company that doesn't have Slack's brand. And so I think that there's oftentimes this notion that I did this one time and it worked for me in this one context. So now I'm going to universally put this out there as a truth. And I think that it's important that, we build mechanisms into the, into the conversation that allows uh, you to get the context of when this advice is useful and for people to be able to call that out.
1: Yeah. I mean, everybody has a microphone now, right? So one, one hit wonder success and all, all of a sudden um, you're, you're able to put your advice and the things you think are wisdom out there to the public, but you know, once once and the context does not necessarily make it a universal truth you know
2: sure and and you know one of the things that we're doing around that is actually capturing feedback on how someone's advice actually went once you implemented it so one of the things that we do on bravado is let's say that you know i go out there and i say hey you should only make cold calls from four to five p.m every you know that's golden hour you know only call during golden hour um, okay, so I've seen some variants of that post being written by like hundreds of people. I've also seen other people say you should call call at between eight and nine a.m. in the morning. That's golden hour, that's the time to do it. Yeah. And I have other people saying, hey, you should call during lunch, because that's the time to do it. And there's other
1: people who say, Don't call at all. The phone is dead.
2: <laughs> right. And so and so ultimately I can sit there and just read people's advice. But what we're trying to do is actually capture, all right. So if Sahil said call between four to five. Uh, and that's the right time to call. Great, I'm gonna sign up to do that, right? I'm gonna say, cool, I'm gonna actually do that. And then you go out for a week or two, and you do that, and then you report back results. And we capture those results and we put them up there and we say, hey, Sahil said call from four to five, but as it turns out, you know, I tried that and I didn't get any freaking meetings off of it. Versus someone else might be like, hey, I got a bunch of meetings. And so you can start to get a sense of like, hey, Sahil's advice is 74% good. you know. And we're trying to, trying to get a sense of what people's credibility is based on real world feedback.
0: I love, I love that. So if I don't give any feedback, my credibility is still hundred <laughs> percent. If you I don't know. put any advice out there, I, I, my number will always stay high in, in the bravado world, right?
2: Well, it won't matter much, right? I guess if you don't put any advice out there, there's nothing there's no harm. It's the fact that everyone's putting out advice out there whether whether they deserve to or not, that's the real problem. Richard, everyone wants your advice, man. You're the you're the ledge.
1: So, so talk let go let's go back in time a little bit. Like how did you get into to sales and, and selling and turn this into your life and your, your career? Did you always uh, did you always know? Richard always brags that he knew he was a salesperson, was selling things when he was a little kid. Yep. I'm the exact opposite, you know, so whether it's Bonnie and Clyde, Laurel and Hardy, or it's just two grumpy old men, like Richard and I are quite opposite, right? So <clears throat> how did you get in into sales, get started?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh yeah, I was like, what, five years old, I was playing with my GI sales figurine, right? And like my Cabbage Patch sales kid, right? No, I mean, I, I'm much more like you, man. I I, I didn't I didn't know that I was going to get into sales. I worked in politics and that was like my, my whole shtick. So when I was in high school, I was, uh, like the student ambassador for this program called the world affairs council, which is a nonprofit initiative to get like great guest speakers in from all over the country, Colin Powell and, um, we had General Schwarzkopf and like a bunch of great, awesome folks who came through and and were presenting. Um, and then I went to school in D.C. I went to Georgetown and GW. I worked on the Obama campaign from 2006 to 2009. Um, and I was going to go work in the White House, actually. And uh, two days before inauguration, uh, my pops uh, ended up, uh, you know, kind of getting pretty sick and it turned out that that was not the path I was going to go down. And so I ended up uh, moving back to California. Um, and needing to make money for my family, you know, my uh, dad had been sick for a long time. He's had twenty nine surgeries in twenty nine years, but man, he's alive and he's he's doing well, and and so. Uh, you know, but but times were a little hard for our family. Like I didn't grow up with much. And even though I grew up in a pretty affluent area in San Francisco, I grew up in San Francisco and then in Burlingame, like I was definitely the poorest kid in, in my in my middle school, my high school, but probably by a lot, to be honest with you. And I needed to make money. And I called my career counselor and I said, hey, what's a job that I can make money at right away? It's yeah, so very,
1: very, very strategic in some way on, on your part, right? I mean, Me, meaning like you looked at it, strategically and said i have to find a job where i can make x amount of money or more than what all these other jobs make or unlimited potentials and so okay that's sales i might as well try that Was that what well, it was- no
2: no actually that that's that's that is where it ended up but that's not how it happened right so i i called my career counselor to say hey what's a job that I can make money at right away. But I was, I mean, I was one of those kids that like, you know, graduate college at 20 and like, you know, I was a mathlete, not an athlete. I was the opposite of you, Scott. You know? <laughs> so I was, I was the mathlete. You know, I was a chess player, uh, which, which was extremely attractive for my social life as you can imagine. Um, and so, <laughs> and so I, I called my career counselor and I was like, Hey, I need to make money. What's a job that I can make money at. And her, boss who was, um, I'm sorry, her boss, I said, uh, her husband was a VP of sales at Oracle. And so she was like, Oh, you should get into sales. And when she said sales, I actually heard, um, I heard like selling cell phone cases at a, at like a kiosk in the mall or, yeah. or selling
1: yeah, sales yeah.
2: yeah. Or like, or like, you know, telemarketing or whatever. And she's like, no, 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 no. I mean, technical sales. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And she's like, Oh, like business to business, like B2B sales. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And she's like, how do you think companies buy products? And I was like, I don't really know. You know, I, I had no idea. So she, she gets me a job interview or two lined up. I go to my first one. It's this company called Meltwater news, big, big sales org. Yep. And I walked in and they were probably so confused. They were like, who's this kid who doesn't know what sales is. And I, you know, but they've hired me based on potential and probably cause I was, you know, they were like, Oh, we don't have any mathletes in here. Let's get, let's get this kid in here and see what he can do. So $36,000 a year, but with uncapped commission, I walked in and in, uh, 2009 and i had uh no idea what a quota was i didn't know what a cold call was i didn't know what a lead was I'd never
1: you had none of the terminology nothing
2: no i mean i didn't even know that i was expected to pick up the phone and call people to try and sell a product. All I knew was that I had this cool title called international management trainee and that sounded good because I, international sounded like I could travel, management sounded like something good and trainee cuz I needed to learn. You know, so it was the perfect title for someone like me and I walk in, you know, bushy-haired, you know, sort of like looking around like what's going on and and it ended up being this uh, this like pure boiler room style environment where all people did, like a thousand employees at this company, 925 of which were salespeople. So you can imagine what this org must have been like. And the first three months I was there, I didn't sell a single deal. And they finally sat me down and they're like, hey, we're going to have to fire you, man. Like you're super smart and like you're really good at, you would be really good at sales, but you keep, you keep being fake, you know? And I was like, I don't know what you mean. And because in my head, I had equivocated doing sales with like being buttoned up, you know? So I'd be like, hello, I'm Sahil Mansuri, calling yeah. with Meltwater News. Because I thought very, that's what you sold. Very you know? proper, like, very rigid. But, yeah. yeah, proper, right? Like, oh, like I'm going to be a business person now. Like that's how I'm going to sell. And and my manager, Matt Alvers who... Is is actually based in Austin. Uh, Matt's like one of my favorite people. I love this guy. Uh, Matt basically was like, "Sahil, that is not how you do sales, you know." And 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 he kind of gave me the talking to. You. He's like, "All right, you got to go home." He's like, "You go home for the rest of the day. You think about this. And if tomorrow you actually still want to do sales, like come back." And so I went home and I cried. Cause I had never failed at anything in my life. I was a straight A student, you know, got into every college I applied to. Like I was, I had lived a fairly charmed childhood when it came to academic achievement, even though I'd had a lot of personal setbacks with like our family and health and money and stuff. Academically I'd always achieved. And it was the first time that I'd ever failed at anything. And I was so upset and like my like little worldview in this bubble I'd been living in was broken. And I came back the next day and I was like, you know what? Fuck this. Like, I can sell. Like, I see all these people doing it. Like, there's no way that I can't do this job. And so I just got on the phone. And then it was another person on the team, this guy named Sam Telfer, who said something else to me that was really clever, who said... Just be curious and ask people questions and let them take you under their wing. He's like everybody loves to help someone who's who who wants their help. Just get on the phone with people and ask them questions, make conversations, just be friendly and and you'll get you'll get so much farther in sales and so it was basically like an overnight transformation. You know, the next month I was the first person globally to hit quota. Uh, It was monthly targets. It was $20,000 a month. And on like the fourth day of the month I hit quota. Um, And then, I went on to hit quota every single month by more than 250%. And that year, I, which is 2009, by the way, which is, as you might imagine, a shitty year to be doing sales. In 2009, I broke the global record for 10 years worth of sales at Meltwater. I was the number one salesperson in the history of the company. And I sold more than twice as much as the next best salesperson. Again, wow. with nine hundred and twenty-five salespeople, and having spent three months basically selling nothing, I was closing. I, I think the best month I had was I sold over hundred and twenty k with a twenty k quota. What did
1: uh, what did what did that experience do to your self confidence and your and your ego? Uh,
2: huge huge mistake because what ended up happening is I thought I was, I was like the Jesus of sales, you know? So then I was like, oh, this is, I'm the best. You know, I'm, I, I went right. I went from like that one moment of like recognition that that sales was really hard and that like, this was a pursuit and I needed to learn to going to the exact opposite end where I was like, I can do no wrong. And so then I ended up being a huge asshole to work with. I was great to my clients. You know, I figured out how sales came very intuitively to me once I understood that I could just be myself and that was enough. And like, I could use my intellect and I could use uh, like conversation and relationship building in order to sell. But then I became a nightmare to work with. And I was, and I ended up getting fired from Meltwater despite being the number one salesperson in history and having run the most successful sales team in history because I was a pretty good manager with friends and people I was just the worst person to manage like all of my bosses every person that managed me hated me because they're like this kid won't listen so full of himself you know and I was just such an asshole started drinking all the time partying all the time thinking that like you know none of the rules applied to me and I basically went from being this like coddled fat chess playing Indian kid to thinking that I was like, you know, Tony Montana or some shit, you know, it was hysterical. Oh, I can't you can't even. You fell victim to, to all the stereotypes. Every stereotype, right. When I say that, like I'm building bravado for myself, like I mean it, you know, like I don't, that's not, that's not hyperbole. Like I needed this. I needed someone to, when I first started in sales, teach me the fundamentals. And when I got good at sales to check me a little. You know, like I needed that. I needed someone to sit me down and say, hey, Sahil, being the number one sales rep ain't shit. You know, like that's great. You're the number one sales rep at Meltwater. There's a thousand people here. There's 18 million salespeople in the world. Right. Like you're like the number one player of like a div sticks, you know, like a soccer team. Like you're like, you need to get yourself to the champions league and be the best player in the world. If you really want to brag like this, like right now you ain't shit kid. Like I needed someone to check me like that. And I just
0: didn't, I'm I'm confused. Scott, are we going to call this, you know, the self-proclaimed Jesus of sales episode or being number one on the leaderboard don't mean shit. Like that's a great name for the sales, for this episode.
1: Yeah, that's a good, that, that one's a good quote right there. Yeah. That, I, I'm sure that this whole experience, though, had prepared you to be a much better CEO, much better founder, right? I mean, having- I mean, having gone, it was, it was all, yeah,
2: man, totally. Like it was all, look, here. here's where it boiled down to. It was when I got to Glassdoor that I finally had my like awakening moment. I showed up, I was one of the first 20 employees at Glassdoor and almost immediately again, I started having tremendous sales success. Uh, and it was like two, three months in, and I started closing Facebook and Microsoft, Amazon, Google, all in like a month and a half, you know? And, I, and quickly again, kind of ascended to be the number one sales rep in history. And a bunch of the folks who I worked with there, Clay Bentley, Olivier, um, Doug, Pat, Jake, have gone on to have these like incredible careers, you know? So I, I worked with some really, really talented people there and it was it was that experience plus the experience of for the first time starting to give back instead of just being selfish and starting to help other people who uh were struggling to hit their hit their quota and starting to recognize that there was more to it than just like being the number one sales rep and that that there was uh, this, this higher purpose of, of seeing someone else succeed and recognizing that, like, I couldn't just always put the ball in my hands that I needed to learn to pass to, you know, I, I, that, that sort of mentality was super helpful for me. I got, I got a question.
0: Now that you have this experience, right? you got the yin and the yang, um, and you, you, from the, from being, you know, the number one rep to the jerk rep to now managing people, for those managers who are listening or, or those salespeople who are listening, how would Sahil manage Sahil? How would you, have, now that you have an understanding of what appropriate behavior is, what the right thing is like, how would you manage your, you know, your asshole self? Like, what, what kinds of advice would you try to give that salesperson?
2: I think perspective is everything. I literally think that perspective is everything where if you are not able to show someone the context of where they are and where they could be, that's what was missing. You know, if all you do is say, wow, you're the number one salesperson, you're awesome. Wow. You're the number one salesperson Celebrate the hill. Then that doesn't work. You know, it needs to be, you have to set goals for people that are stretch goals that are appropriate for their level. And so if you're the number one salesperson at a company, And you're, I mean, at one point at Glassdoor, it was myself and a guy named Clay Bentley. We were responsible, I want to say, for like 50 to 60% of the revenue of the company. And we had like 30, 40 sales reps, right? It wasn't a small team. And we were literally just like top, top of the leaderboard. And again, like, it's so easy to get full of yourself, right? It's so easy to be like, oh, yeah. So
0: so there's a manager. I know there's somebody out there listening right now who's like, I know exactly. I've got that rep. I understand (laughs) How do you give that perspective? How do you, and it could be you attempt to give the perspective, right? You know, you can't
2: make them lead the horse to water. You can't make them drink it, right? No, I I mean, I think that, I think it's just like, it's, it's setting a bar. It's setting a bar that goes beyond the company they're at. I think that's what it is, right? It's like, nobody ever asked me, you know, no one asked me the question, for 20, I want to say for at least for the five to six, first five to six years of my sales career, nobody asked me the question, "Hill, what do you want to do in five years? Like, do you want to still be in sales? If someone had asked me that question, like i I mean, because I remember the moment when I was asked that question i I, I was the V p of sales at a company called Virul. I was dating this new girl who then ended up becoming my wife, who I've been married to for six years and and she she basically asked me this question. She goes. I come back, you know big, big quarter, blew out, you know awesome, I go out with the team, come home at 1030 and I'm like, dude, we knocked it out and da, da 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 da. And she wasn't that impressed. I was like, how are you not that impressed? Like it's awesome. you know we crushed it. And she was like, yeah, but do you just want to be in sales for the rest of your life? I thought you wanted more for yourself than that. And it just like hit me like a ton of bricks. you know the first time I was like, wait, being the number one sales rep, isn't enough. You know, like I need to do more with my, with my skill set. Like the, the number one salesperson at your company doesn't want to be in sales forever. Like that's the secret. They don't want think, to be in sales forever. I think, I I think, think some that. do. I think some don't. I think it's,
0: I think it's also age, right? Like if you're talking about someone earlier in their career, like you were, that vision is there, right? If you're talking about someone who just is in sales and they've been doing it all their life. They may not want. They maybe they did management and they don't want that. They just want to be an individual contributor.
2: Yeah, but I mean, look at you, right? You're a rock star seller who who went off and started your own business and started doing consult. I'm not saying that you have to get out of. I got, I got fired.
0: I started this business because I got fired. So you know that right? <laughs> yeah, that's the true story. I've told it a hundred times. Huh. Yeah, I, I was not. I was. I was a manager at that point, and there was an acquisition going on behind the scenes. And, yeah. You know, but I wasn't very good at what I was doing at that stage. For that company, and so they they did what was appropriate, and uh, and they and they they hugged me out the door. It's not like they were like, get the fuck out of here. Richard.
2: Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And I think so. So back to your question, though. I think that most people have an aspiration. Most at least this is something I've seen from the. So like the number one salesperson in a company called, you're familiar with Stripe. So their number one sales rep is this guy named Ross Rich, who I got connected to last year. And again, like very similar story where he's like, you know, top, top of the leaderboard uh, at Stripe. Just started his own company and and went out and raised a, a round of funding and he's doing some really cool stuff. Like I think that most people mm-hmm. don't have a clear understanding of either what they want to do or they have an understanding but it's not really fleshed out. And so where I t- I tend to spend my time as the CEO of the company today, where I try to spend my time is what is the what is the the thing that you really are trying to do. You know, where is your life trying to go in five years, and 10 years? Like, where where do you see that perspective? And if you're, again, if you're at the top of the leaderboard, like, it's not going to be enough for you just to be in the confines of, of the company you're at. You're going to eventually get bored and move on. I think that you need to get people to be like, well, what I really want to do, like in an ideal world, I would get to do X. And I'm like, okay, Let's think about what that X is. Maybe it's like I want to go and run my own small business one day, or I want to be a consultant one day, or I want to, you know, start a company one day, or I want to be the COO of a company one day. Right? Not everyone wants to be a CEO. Some people are like, hey, I'm an operator. Some people like, will we just want to be in sales. And I'm like, great. If that's what you want, if you want to be the number one salesperson and you're content with 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 what your role is, then then more power to you. But I have uh, the reason why I see turnover, especially from like the very very top of sales reps is because they feel like they're they're bored like, it's like, I did it and now people aren't take like, I'm not getting the same value and growth that I was getting once upon a time. And people need to feel growth. Like they need to feel like, oh, every day I'm coming in, I'm learning something so new that I didn't know that I was even working on. And So I think that like challenging people to go beyond the structure of your organization and build their brand outside of that and do things outside of that is so critical.
0: How do you encourage that in your own organization? You are a CEO, right? How do you yeah. encourage that stretch, that emotional stretch, that personal stretch that's beyond the number?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, to be fair, we don't have a sales team yet at Bravado that's coming. Um, but I can speak to how I do that for folks in, in, in a variety of other... I think
0: that's even better because it helps remove that that cloud of like, oh, well, that's a salesperson, right? Like, So yeah, how, how do you encourage your employees to do that?
2: Yeah, so let's talk about one person on our team who I have a lot of admiration for. This this woman named Amy Young. So I met Amy uh, in in a through like a personal connection. Uh, I want to say back in uh, maybe July, June, July of 2018. So so I guess not quite two years ago. It's 18 months ago. And I met Amy and, and I was immediately impressed with how smart she was and how talented and just like thoughtful. And so she and I uh, ended up getting breakfast together and I had a conversation with her and I asked her, when you were a kid, what did you want to be? And she said, she wanted to be an astronaut. And I said, why did you want to be an astronaut? And she's like, oh, I always wanted to like, you know, do new things and explore the next frontier and do this and do that. And I was like, why didn't you do that? And she's like, oh, I get, she's like, I get motion sick. So I don't think that being an astronaut was all right. Amy's going to kill me for sharing this story, but it's okay. She, I, I, hopefully All right, Amy all, Amy. all love,
0: Amy. Yeah, all love. I Anyways, get so- motion sickness too, Amy, just so you know, I got it. I go on,
2: when we go on vacation,
0: I can't go on the boat rides with my kids. So.
2: <laughs> and so, and so. Amy and I uh, started working so anyway, so she joined our our company as as our head of operations uh, in September of 2018 and Every conversation I've had with her, you, you know, whenever we get to that like moment where she's nervous about something, so she was so she was asked to be a keynote speaker at uh, Rainmaker now Rev uh, by Sales Loft. and she was up on the main stage, and and she gets asked to do this, and she literally told me she would rather quit bravado than get up on that stage again. Amy's gonna kill me for this story, but it's uh, you know well, I have to. Know, I hope me. she doesn't. I really I really hope Amy knows that like no no she. she she does, she does. Yeah, I'm too, I'm right? kidding. She's gonna she's gonna get a good laugh out of it though. So she was I like, don't... I would rather she She was like, I would rather quit than get up on that stage. She's like, there is no way I'm going to go speak in front of a thousand people. And I was like, yeah, but Amy, remember, like we talked about this. You wanted to be an astronaut. You know, you wanted to push yourself. And this is that chance. You know, you're pushing yourself. You're breaking through your own, your own inhibitions for yourself. And you're like stretching beyond that. And, and, and she worked at it and she gets up there. And I tell you what, she was up there with Barros and she was up there with uh, Allie and I even Barros would probably admit she, I mean, she was easily the best speaker that they had at, at, at Rainmaker, easily. Awesome. And, and afterwards, hundreds of people coming up to her being like, oh my God, that was so inspiring. And oh my God, that was such a great presentation because yeah. she is that awesome. And afterwards she came up to me and she was like, thank you. You know, like you pushed me to get there and now I can see that I can do it. And now she goes and she speaks at colleges and, and like, it's just incredible to see people develop like that. And, right. and the reality is, Like, I, you know, I can't push the person up on stage. You know what I mean? Like, they got to get up on stage themselves. She did all the work. I didn't do anything. But it's up to me to remind her that the confines of, like, the little bravado land of, like, doing whatever isn't the goal, right? The goal is for her, when she leaves bravado, I want her to, like, look back and be like, holy shit, I can't believe I did all that. You know, I want her to be so proud of herself. Like that's the thing that, that inspires me as a leader. I, I love like,
0: that too. I think, I hope if people walk out of here they go to their one-on-ones and try to have a, a human conversation. what do you want to be when you were a kid, right? Or, or maybe even in a, in a team standup, Hey, we're going to do something totally different. Like yeah. what was your dream? Like me, I wanted to be a NASCAR driver, right? Now, really? keep in mind, oh yeah. I, I grew up in Macon, Georgia and um, NASCAR was not what it is today. It was still a very Southern thing. Um, I would even go so far to say is that probably had a redneck image and, um, you know, which just sort of meant someone who was, might be unintelligent, which is not the truth. Um, but I still follow it. And I remember telling my dad years ago, I was like, he's like, dad, what, you know, you know, I I don't know if you knew this. I wanted to be a race car driver. He's like, really? Why didn't you tell me that? And I was like, dad, I, I I don't know. I thought you'd be embarrassed. And he's like, no, I'd have taken you to races and we'd like done stuff. And I was like, (laughs) you know, like, you know, like. So tell your parents what you want to be, you know, tell your kids to tell you what they want to be. And, you know, whether it's doctors or veterinarians and the most important thing I don't think is the question that Sahil asked. It's what makes you want to do that? Why do you want to be an astronaut? Why do you want to be a vet? Because that's where the emotion comes in, right? That's where the humanity comes in, which I, I really love. So I think that's a fun story. What, um, you know you so you grew up it sounds like you were a pretty smart kid right you graduated from college at 20
2: yeah uh, actually i guess i guess i was 21 uh, by the time that i actually got my diploma but yeah it was you can say right it between 20 and 21 yeah
0: did you did you do it in like 3 years were you one of those folks
2: two and a half yeah why uh, because well, two reasons one, my family was poor so couldn't couldn 't afford to be in school right like every year that i wasn 't working was another another year or uh, that we i wasn 't making money, so I needed to like get through that. Um, the other the other reason uh, was because I just went when I was in high school I was taking a bunch of classes at Stanford and at local colleges and stuff and so because I kind of like blew through the curriculum that we had at, at high school so I just walked in with a shit ton of credits and and you know to truth be told I wasn't really a big fan of the confines of like the traditional social education thing you know that just wasn't that just wasn't really for me like it was fun like I enjoyed partying as much as anyone else. And I enjoyed having friends as much as anyone else, but, but no, like I wasn't, that wasn't what was motivating to me. You know, what my, my favorite thing to do is to challenge myself. Like I don't set the bar based on like the people around me. Like I want, I want to grow for myself, you know, and, and college and the confines of that just didn't feel like it was stretching me.
0: Yep. Got it. Got it. So you see me, you know, for people watching my, my computer, even though it's plugged in, says I'm running out of power. So if we get cut off, fuck. Um, I don't know what to do. But um, so it may end abruptly. What? What? Um, were there expectations from your family to the type of career you were supposed to have? Oh, you know, I know God. sometimes.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, dad, yeah so my dad.
0: Yeah,
2: man, this is a good story. So, uh, you know, when you grow up in an immigrant household, I, I want to say that the I feel like it's it's mostly people who grew up with. Indian, Chinese, or Jewish parents that really understand this, but I think this is a fairly universal thing. You know, you get told at a really early age that there's three professions you can have: you can be a doctor, you can be an engineer, and in some cases, you can be like a lawyer. But besides those three things, you know, those are the professions for you. And again, when you grow up academically gifted, that that's kind of like a it's even more reinforced. And so when I went and told my dad that I was in sales, um, and my mom that I was in sales, they were real disappointed. So disappointed, in fact that they used to refer to me as the failure. So they would be like, my dad, I mean, half jokingly, but like half not jokingly, would be like, beta, and and that means son for those who are listening, but not in a good way, right? Like, it's not the sort of son, like, hey, son, it's like, beta, you know, beta, sales is not a real career. And, 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 you know, he'd be, he would, I mean, this is, this is uh, literally what he would say, right? He'd be like, sins is for white people you know like he would be like like and it was still so, and i was like first of all that's 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 fucked up but secondly that's not even true. You know, like sales is like incredible career. And like, I don't know why you would say things like that. And also like, I'm not all about that racism life, dad, but like, but you know, like they just grew up in a different time and they just equivocated it to something real different. You know, they, they never saw, they never saw it as being this like prestigious job that like goes out there and neither do most people, you know, when we've done a survey of Undergraduate business students at Stanford, Cal, and Duke, we asked uh, over a thousand students that are in the undergraduate business program, would you consider a a career in sales? 97% said no right? So now, I mean, we're talking about business students, right? That don't want to, I'm not talking about engineers or whatever. Business students don't want to be in sales. And so I I definitely felt a lot of that pressure as well. And, and I, and I still get ribbed about it to this day. My, my mom in fact told me, this is not a joke. This is a true story. My little brother just graduated from college uh, and he got a job at Amazon as a, as a software engineer. Um, And my mom kind of jokingly, but again, not really, was like, beta, when are you going to go back to college, get your engineering degree so you can get nice job like your brother? You know, like, and I'm like, mom, like, mom, I don't think you understand what I do for a living. And she's like, yes, you run a company about sales. You know, like, she's like, <laughs> she, like, like, like her, like she has no concept of what it means to be like a, a tech CEO or whatever. She's just right. sees the sales hat Right. Like, this is a sales guy, you know, and right. sales is bad, you know, and it's just like it's it's hard to get away from that, you know, man. Yeah, like it, I, I it is, it's just hard to get away from it. I
0: also think too, though, that, it, that which is also nice that it, to come full circle, you know, there are a lot more Caucasians in sales, right, and particularly white men, right, and you know, have you seeing a difference in that diversity? Like, do you pay attention to diversity or are you, you know, given your background, are you mm-hmm. more conscious of diversity? Because- I mean,
2: let's be, to- let's be clear, being an Indian man in tech is not diversity, you know? Like if anything, it's, it's like the lack of diversity, but so I'm cogent of that. But no, I mean, this is one of the pillars of bravado, you know, we champion getting underrepresented minorities, getting more women, getting the LGBTQ community involved in sales. Because I'll tell you what, sales is the best fucking job in the world. Like I deeply, like, if I didn't believe that, then like, why am I building a community for sales? Like that would be crazy, right? Like I believe fundamentally that sales is the best fucking job on earth. And here's why, because it's the only job that I know of where without a master's degree, heck, even without a college degree, You can make six figures and support your family. No training, no schooling, whatever. Based surely upon your own effort and your own merit, you're able to provide for your family and and live a good, comfortable life. Like that i would say you can make
0: seven is, figures you know i was
2: sure but but i, I, I was sure i mean of course i'm saying that the upper end is there but i'm saying like if you want to make in this country you know if you want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year that's going to let you live comfortably in like 99 of this country like maybe not san francisco but mm-hmm. everywhere else in this country 100k a year is a great salary and most people don't make 100k a year they don't even make close to that and right. and yet, Salespeople, even like decent salespeople are able to make a good living. And so I don't think of it as like, oh, I want to champion diversity in sales because I'm like some do-gooder. I think about championing diversity in sales as a moral imperative because it's unfair that not enough people understand what an awesome job this is. You know, like this is a job where you have incredible career upward mobility. You have the ability to work from home. So if you are a single parent or if you have a sick parent, you have flexibility in your work hours. Dude, I used to take calls. uh, I remember... You know, my, my pops would have these, like, he still does like poor guy, man. He's, he's an amazing human, but he still has like once a year something goes wrong and he ends up in the hospital. I never missed a day of work, even though I was at the hospital with him. You know why? Cause I just hop on and do my call right there and then just get off and be able to like that kind of flexibility in sales is incredible. And so right. I think that the fact that other people self-select out of a career in sales because they're like, oh, it's all Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, like Wolf of Wall Street, you know, like, ooh, uh, ooh uh, sort of shit, you know, like, like, that's not what sales is about. And I think that getting the profession cleaned up is much more about giving equal access to what I fundamentally believe is one of the best jobs in the world to every person who's out there, who's who's trying to make a living, who's trying to figure out what to do with their career. What do, what do you,
0: um, do you think your parents will listen to this podcast or no?
2: I, I hope so.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just didn't know if they, if they would. Do you, you, you think they'll, what do you think they'll say to what you just said? They'll be like, I think,
2: no. that, I think that they would say that uh, uh, the fact that we have gone from where we were financially as a family to where we are today, where what my life looked like when I was uh, in, in 2009 to what it looks like in 2020, I am mm-hmm. the luckiest motherfucker. You know, I am I am so blessed uh, to, to have been put into the right situations where I was able to elevate myself, my family and and, and everyone else into, you know, the, the, this blessed life where I get to be on podcasts with you instead of like struggling to make ends meet, which is what my family did for 18 years while I was growing up. And so like, I think that they would acknowledge that at the very least uh sales has been great for our family and maybe there's something to the sales thing
0: right finally it's a little something to it right
2: yeah yeah i mean it's funny now i get like the joke you know like occasionally my dad's like oh maybe i should be a salesperson you know like it's like so (laughs) funny you know he's like he's like half kidding but he's half not because like i remember when i i had this like massive quarter one time at, at Glassdoor, and um I got my first six-figure check, you know, it came in the mail and it was, a, oh, it was my quarterly bonus, annual, like whatever. And right. I and i had made more than a hundred grand on a single paycheck and it showed up. So I was in Seattle at the time uh, for a client thing and I was living with my parents because, you know, like the, I wasn't didn't have a lot of money in the days. And so like, I wouldn't live with my parents. And so I, um, the check arrived and my mom called and she thought there was like an error, you know, she was like, <laughs> she was like, she was like this, she goes, this check arrived and we're not really sure what to do with it. And like, like, did your company screw up or whatever? Cause obviously my base salary was nothing like this. You know what I mean? Right, like, I, right. and, and they didn't quite understand. And that's when I explained how commissions and quotas worked and they were like blown away, you know, right, like, but, right. but they'd never seen that in their life. My, I don't think my dad ever made more than a hundred grand in a year right you know and 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 to see a hundred thousand dollars on a single paycheck blew their mind, and I'm like, yeah, that's what's, and i was twenty three right. right like I wasn't and 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 that's and thus you can see how I ended up with like the ego complex, but you can also maybe understand right. why it is that I believe that sales is an incredible profession.
0: that's great, that's really, really good, um you know we are, I want you to tell this one story, it's my favorite story from you, you know it's the one about you being on the plane with your dad. If you're comfortable t- sharing that yeah, story, yeah,
2: yeah, I well, I want you to know something, though. I, I think I didn't, I don't, I think I didn't explain this to you properly. So that story isn't true, and the reason it isn't true is because oh. it's a meme. So the the joke is so. Let me, oh, I thought it was true. No, 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 no. no. So I I I want to I, I want to be clear. Yeah. So so the story the, it was an internet meme about like you know there's a, someone with an emergency on a plane and your dad's like teasing you for not being a doctor. But I actually have a real version of that story. So I do have a real version of I that. Know, that's real one. That and I, and I'll tell you the real version. So the real version is that uh my father's been sick for a long time right and i told you that and so there's one time when my dad was sick and he was in the hospital um and and the doctors were like scrambling to like do whatever and and my and my mom my mom and dad turned to me and they're like see if you had been a doctor, you could have helped your dad today. You know, like, it was like, literally, (laughs) like, literally, and, and, and again, I don't, like, you got to understand that, like, my parents love me more than anything. I I make i sound awful in this, like, like they're like, no, 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 they're the best family in the world. Like, I, I'm, I'm the most blessed person in the world around this. But, 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 but the thing is, it's, their, it's the fundamental thing they were never able to get over and right. to this day that they can't, which is this understanding that to them being a doctor is the highest pinnacle achievement that you can have in right. your career and that sales sounds and feels like this thing that's so far beneath that to them. Right. And, and quite frankly, they're far in the majority in this right. thinking. You know, you ask the average person on the street, what do you think of a doctor? They're gonna say, oh yeah, you know what? A-. And then you ask him, hey, what do you think of a salesperson? Oh, <laughs> You're yeah. gonna get a real different reaction from them, you know? Well, you, should, you should explain how much an MRI
0: machine costs <laughs> and what the commission of that MRI machine is. It's say, <laughs> do you want me being the doctor or do you want me the guy selling to the hundreds of thousands of doctors, the MRI machine, right? Less,
2: so- Less 10 years of schooling, less, yeah. I mean, I'm 32. You know, like I would have been graduating like five, like two years ago, maybe as a doctor, you know? And like, that's the thing that's crazy to me is like 10 years of training, hundreds of thousands of dollars of medical debt, uh, you know, all of the years in school versus I've been out there like doing shit, learning, meeting people, building my network. And, given a chance to go back and let's assume that financial situation aside and whatever, given a chance to go back, there's no career I would take than sales because it taught me everything I needed to know about how to generate revenue, how to talk to customers, how to build a business. Like I got an MBA by being in sales, you know, and that's the thing that I think is so captivating. Whenever I meet people who are MBA uh, grads from like GSB or Harvard or whatever, and I talk to them, they're so good at thinking strategically, but they can't execute tactically. You I know?
0: completely agree with you. hundred and, percent.
2: And that's, I mean, what's the point of the MBA if all you can do is make PowerPoint presentations? You know, like if you can't get on the phone and yeah. sell something, if you can't go and talk to a customer, if you can't develop and build build a business from scratch, then I think it's worthless. And, and and so much of education is textbook, like presentation, case study crap, like yeah. go out and do something. And I feel like that's what sales makes you do.
0: Totally agree. I got one last question for you. And I actually, we need to jump in about three Sorry. minutes away, but um, we always turn it around at the end uh, of our podcast. What can we do to help you? Right. Aside from, Hey, talk about bravado, which we're, you know, we will, how can, how can we help Sahil?
2: Yeah, I, I don't want you to talk about bravado, not, not in that way, right? Talk about bravado if it comes up naturally, not because not because I, I did sure. this podcast, I, I would never want that, um, but, but here's, here's what you can do to help me. The number one thing that you can do uh, is to go out there and tell people what makes sales a great career. Help me dispel the stigma of sales. This whole notion that you have to be dishonest to be in sales, that you have to be pushy to be in sales, that sales is this job where like you're like a telemarketer, or, like you're spamming people, and like you know all of this, all of this, uh, let's just say grossness around sales help me get rid of it because look, it's not going to happen because I get it. I did this podcast not going to happen because of bravado. It's going to happen when every single person in sales stands up and says, you know what? The stigma of sales isn't the reality of sales. And I want to represent the reality of sales. And so What, what the best thing that you can do to help me and the thing that you can do, I think, to help our profession as a whole is to stand up and say, you know what, here's everything you've heard about sales, but this is what it's actually like spread that message within sales spread that message even more importantly, outside of sales. You know, I go and I, I guest lecture at a bunch of different universities across the country. And I usually show up inside of a marketing class or a general business class and talk about sales. And when I get up there and I ask people, Hey, what do you think of sales? We got another, got another guest. I know. I
0: think I've got a, uh, let's finish (laughs) it out.
2: Yeah, Yeah. Okay. Great. Poor Chris. Um, and so the, the, um, yeah. The, where, where we end up is, you know, I get up there in, in front of the college uh, classroom and I'm like, Hey, you know, tell me when I say salesperson, what comes to your mind? Right. I mean, I could just, I, I don't even need to ask the question. I could just literally just like parrot it. You know, I could just write it on the whiteboard of what they That's really agree. And cool. you know what? So can you, and so can every other person. And yeah. until that changes, nothing will change. Totally. Until that changes, nothing changes. And so if all we are is a bunch of commission breath, like, you know, like people out there just trying to like sell whatever the fuck to whomever the fuck, then we are never, ever, ever, ever going to elevate the profession. And so help me break the stigma of sales because there's no way that I'm going to be able to do it alone.
0: Awesome, man. That's really, really great. Sahil, it's always a great pleasure to see you, a great pleasure to talk to you. I will wear my Sahil hat with much pride, you know. For those, it's so get,
2: good. It's, right it's so good. Oh yeah. my God, that's amazing.
0: So, uh, but we appreciate it. We love you. Um, there's so much more we could have gotten into today. I'd love to have you back to do some more. But thank you again. We really appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Richard. You're my fave. Cheers, man. Uh, Bye. Yeah.